0: This episode is sponsored by the amazing O'Reilly Velocity Conference, coming to
1: San Jose, California, June 10th through June 13th. It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is episode 157 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show where we talk about all of the non-technical things that go along with the technical field of software development. And we reuse our tagline because Jameson can't think of an intro.
0: (laughs) all right hey you can't be brilliant every week jameson
1: yeah this is anyways i'm on vacation i'm i'm (laughs) that's all i can handle about computers right now it's just regurgitating old stuff
0: (laughs) which is why i had to write your script this week yeah
1: (laughs) you really punched it up for me
0: I'd like to thank the people on Patreon, our great patrons who are contributing at the level where they get a shout out every week on the show. Thank you to Matthew Voidovich, the Agile Ventures charity, Zach Grannon, Luis Santos, Nick Cantar, Sean Clayton, Ivo Robotnik, Sonny Tai, Sonic the Hedgehog, and Murray Rousseau, and Chris Hogan. Sorry, Chris, almost forgot you there. (laughs) If you'd like to support the show, you can go to our website, softskills.audio, and click support us on Patreon. Thank you so much to those who do.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. I think we should just dive into the questions. Let's do it. All right. This is from an anonymous listener. I became a manager one year ago. I took over someone as my direct report who was not performing well at the time. On my first day, I gave a motivational chat to welcome him again to the team and continued to motivate him. But after one year, he is not improving at all. I gave him clear feedback and set expectations, but he just doesn't change. This got to the point where it is stressful for both of us. And since I spend so much time on just that issue, I fear it adds to the stress and may affect my decisions. What should I do?
0: Hmm. Sounds like your motivational talk didn't do the job.
1: Yeah, I guess not. (laughs) Maybe it would have taken two motivational chats.
0: (laughs) Oh, did you think of that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you had to do one on the first day and then another one on the second day (laughs) just to have it really stick.
0: It's two factor motivation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is a tough situation to be in. I'm sorry that you're in it. I feel like the good news is it seems like broadly, you are doing the right things where I think a manager should be setting expectations for performance and letting people know how they're performing relative to those expectations. And the question asker says, I gave him clear feedback and set expectations. So it seems like you're, you're the worst way this can go is someone is just doing a bad job and they don't know and no one tells them
0: Or they they decline to accept your feedback when you do tell them.
1: Yeah, or that.
0: But actually, actually, no, I think what you're saying is even worse because it's like they're just kind of not performing. Everyone knows it except them. And then if you were to approach them about it, it would be like they got blindsided. And that's the worst.
1: Yeah. I read this book called Radical Candor. And there's this story at the beginning about that situation you just described where someone joins a team. They aren't performing very well everyone kind of just sidesteps the issue. And then eventually this person gets fired. And in the conversation they say, why didn't anyone tell me they're so distraught partially because getting fired sucks, but partially because to them it was a huge surprise and it should never be a surprise. I guess this is a hint that we've talked about firing people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Where we're going with this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
1: assuming that this is true, that you've given him clear feedback, set expectations, you've given him a year and this has happened repeatedly, and and consistently, not just once. I feel like that's the direction this is headed. That you need to let yeah. this person go because they're not being successful in this job. And and you even mentioned it's stressful for both of us, right? Like it it does not feel good to feel like you're failing consistently, and it's not going to be great. But you could at least look at it as part of the effect of firing them will be they will get to find a position that they're a better fit for. Yeah. Because this isn't it, man. This is a bummer of a topic, but I think it's worth talking about because it does happen, unfortunately. Yeah,
0: it it really is. But I'm just—I'm so glad to see that you've been that the listener here has been doing all the right things along the way. Because I think when you know, if it comes to having to move this person out, which it sounds like it's going to, at least you won't have the dreaded question: "How come no one told me?" Yeah. I mean, there's there's no way to make a firing good. (laughs) <laughs> like there's yeah, no, there's, there's no
1: non-painful way to right. fire someone.
0: Right, it's it's not like they're going to be like, oh, thank goodness.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But at least you won't have that lingering question. You know, you can know that you did your diligence, you gave them every opportunity, and you gave them a, a pretty generous amount of time to recover. A year is, is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine looking ahead another year and saying, well, I've now given this individual two years to improve with, let's say, quarterly feedback saying they weren't meeting expectations. I mean, that that actually feels even worse than than having to move them out now, to me.
1: Yeah, there's an effect on the rest of the team, too. I mean, the team might have to cover for, for this guy by fixing his mistakes or by picking up his slack. Or I, I mm-hmm. mean, there's a balance because you don't want to make this ruthless, like, cutthroat atmosphere that doesn't feel safe. But also, it, it would feel like if I'm an employee on the team, it's not my job to fire this person. <laughs> so... But I'm suffering for it because the, the quality of life at work is worse because they're not yeah. doing a good enough job.
0: Yeah, I've definitely been there. And that's that actually raises an interesting point. So when you're preparing to, to do a termination like this, which I've only done, I've done a couple. Uh, Jameson's done, have you done, a, have you done this before? We've talked about this, right?
1: Yeah, I've done, depends on how you count. Like one to three, I guess. <laughs> yeah, okay. Thankfully not <laughs> dozens or hundreds.
0: So between one and three. yeah it's like a schrodinger schrodinger's uh termination
1: (laughs) yep we'll call it one and a half (laughs) okay (laughs) wait no the math is wrong two
0: (laughs) (laughs) so i i think that there's a couple of general rules or a couple of good ideas you can use here to make this a little bit less painful one really cool technique that i saw for someone that needed to be let go but you know you want to try to give them as soft landing as possible and help them Not have a bad reputation with the teammates that they're leaving behind, and so what I saw offered to someone, which I thought was great, was it said, look, we've decided that we're no longer a fit, and we're going to give you three months, and here's how it's going to work: you can either resign today and take three months severance, or you can take the next three months to continue working with us and do a job search. And so now, you know, you can leave on your own terms, uh, either by taking the cash and going now. the possible reputational damage and, and I'll do my best to construct a narrative that supports you and is positive. Or you can take the next three months and and find a job and you know that you have now the time you need to make that happen. And I thought that was a really generous way to do it, to help a person make the transition.
1: Hmm. That's weird. Is it? I thought it was great. I think it's weird. You're just going to pay them to do... So severance is one thing. They
0: continue to do the job, right? I mean, they're they're, they're still employed.
1: But they, they can't do the job already when they're trying and now you're telling them hey just go look for a job while we pay you and you still come in
0: think of it like a contractor where the contract is ending in three months like we expect you to finish the work you're on and we expect you to Uh make the most of the next three months but if you quit in six weeks because you found a job that's fine and when i saw this offered to someone they took the three-month option stay employed for three months they found a job after a month or two and left and that way they got to leave on their own terms management didn't have to like sit down with the rest of the team and say, so-and-so has been fired because of bad performance. And they seemed to, I mean, I'm not going to say they were happy with the arrangement, but at yeah. least at least they had some choice.
1: Huh. That's weird to me. I mean, severance is, is a pretty standard thing uh, at, I think, at a certain size of company. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it happens at little tiny startups or anything, but that seems pretty standard. And that does kind of, as much as possible, humanize it a little bit. There's often like things you sign to go along with severance, like uh, non-disparagement agreements or something like that to try and protect the company in order to qualify for the severance. But I I still feel like overall giving people, if you're going to let them go, giving people a little bit of a bridge is, is reasonable and healthy.
0: But you would prefer a financial bridge, not a time bridge, is what you're
1: saying. I don't think so. I think if you're saying you are not doing a good enough job to work here, but stay around and be even more distracted because now you know and you're going to be looking for another job that that feels worse to me. Hmm. I maybe it would depend heavily on the candidate cuz I could see some people approaching that differently than others. And some people getting maybe kind of toxic and and
0: I think I think for some people they really like if they really care about their reputation and they just don't want the story being told that they were an underperformer and had to be fired, this is a good option for them, right? If they value that more than they value getting a 3 month lump sum of pay.
1: Yeah. I, I want to focus in on that underperformer thing. I think there's this stigma around getting fired where it's, it's like a black spot of who you are as a person. Yeah. And I don't think that's true. I think everyone is an underperformer sometimes. That's true. And <laughs> have I been fired? I got fired for my first job when I was 15. That doesn't count in this context, though, because they were weird. Oh, sure. James. I think I talked about this on the show. No, they, they hired me. And then right before I was about to turn 16, they called me in and said, Oh, sorry, we thought you were 16 already. And you have to be 16 to work here. And then they fired me. It was okay. weird.
0: So you had already been working there for a while?
1: Yeah, i had worked there for a while. I haven't been fired from a, a full time job as a developer. But I did do a bad job for a while at <laughs> one job and then ended up quitting. And, and I think if I had stayed long enough, I probably would have gotten fired from that job. Oh, but i don't think that means i cannot do good work anymore or there's something inherent in my character or abilities it was a combination of environment and and mm-hmm. i don't know some stuff going on in my life at the time and it was a bunch of different things together that contributed to it and and so what What is the point of this ramble?
0: It's not something in, intrinsic in you, right?
1: Yeah, it's not It's not this intrinsic failure in who I am as a human being. And I think I can understand why people are very ashamed of it. And I, I don't love that this happened. But I also don't think that, I don't know, some, some way of, of lessening the blow to your reputation or ego of getting fired. I, I know people have been fired who are great and who I'd love to work with. And I've told you my sometimes story. Sometimes it's yet. their fault and sometimes it's not. You got fired? Yeah, I told you my story about getting fired, right? Oh, yeah, but you should tell it again. (laughs) I was a
0: software tester, and I was youthful and stupid, as opposed to now. Now I'm old and stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And I made some negative comments about my employer in an online forum. And this was like before, I think, our collective consciousness had acknowledged the fact that everything we put online is like public for everyone to see. (laughs) Yeah. For basically
1: forever. You were like... They'll never know who Skater Dave 420 is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. So I said something negative And then literally the next day at work, I got a phone call from the owner of the product that I disparaged online. Just berating me for what I had done. Hmm. And then, you know, he said, who's your manager? And I told him and he contacted my manager. And then I got a call from my manager and. And she was like, well, Dave, the only thing she said was, you should probably hope for the best and prepare for the worst. (laughs) All right. Uh, And then about two weeks later, the HR guy called me into his office and said, we've decided that our company and you are not a good fit. (laughs) And and that was it. (laughs) And they walked me out the door at that moment. That was a valuable lesson for me. Very valuable. And I am so glad I had that experience when I was young and carefree and stupid instead of old and burdened by care and stupid.
1: Yeah. That's the best time to get fired when you don't have a mortgage. and. <laughs>
0: yep. Yeah. Oh. So there you go. So, I mean, I know a lot of people who have been fired and only a few of them are terrible people. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> None of them are terrible people. I, I think your comment about like it's a confluence of circumstances where it's like maybe they're in the wrong role for their expertise or for their desires at the time or for their circumstance you know like it's a huge it's so many factors that go into it and it's just a matter of time that they find the right role that aligns well with their circumstances and needs
1: i think the point of me going on this tangent was to part of your proposal of giving them this three-month period was it'll preserve the reputation and i guess this was i recognized that the reputation hit exists and is real but i kind of wish it didn't in some ways that it was Mm -hmm. more okay to say like yeah this i i had this job and it wasn't great, and I didn't do good work, and I got fired, and I I can still do good work.
0: Yeah, that that would be nice. (laughs) That would be really nice.
1: If you follow sports, you see this all the time, where there there are people that bounce around teams for a while, and then they end up in the right place for them and become superstars. Hmm. And your environment has a huge effect, and it's not just whether it's good or bad. It's a lot of different things about who's around you, and what kind of work you're doing, and what role you're in but there's a lot of context to performance. It's not an absolute. I feel like that gets lost in the like, you got fired, you are bad feeling that people have. Anyways, that's not the question that was asked. <laughs> what, should, what should the question asker do?
0: Well, they do, there is another option here. What is it? You could tell this person they're doing great, give them a huge raise, and then let imposter syndrome take over and they'll be gone in weeks.
1: Okay, promote them. Yes. To where they can do less damage.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, put them in a Sound management. Put them in a management role somewhere. Middle management.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's where I am. Oh. Hmm. How did you get there, Jameson? <laughs> well, yeah, maybe I just screwed up one too many deploys and they're like, <laughs> don't let this guy deploy anymore. <laughs> put him in meetings. I mean, okay, so assuming that You have tried your best. You've given clear feedback over a long period of time about how they're not meeting expectations and their performance hasn't improved. What do you do now?
0: Now you need... I mean, just like you inherited this person, you need to find some other manager to take this person on.
1: (laughs) Transfer them to another team. (laughs) I did just say that in sports, sometimes people do better on other teams. Yeah, there you go. I, I mean... There's some merit in that potentially. If you do think that they have the potential to do good work, but they're in the wrong fit, you could explore that with them. If it really is a a talent and ability gap, I don't know that dumping them on someone else, like you're a used car salesman filling the engine with sawdust, so it like putters (laughs) along another few miles through the test drive. I don't know that that feels great. Like you coach them really well on interview questions and then have them interview with the other team. (laughs) Listen, if all you want to do is detect cycles in a linked list, this is your guy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there is a chance, though, that there are roles in your company that are better suited for this person's skills and desires. And maybe you should explore those.
1: There is a chance. I just feel like that sounds like too easy of an answer. And you're probably going to end up needing to fire this guy. Okay. I'm assuming that you have organizational backing and power to make this decision because if if it's an environment where it's very difficult to fire people then uh, i mean we get we get lots of questions from europe and all i know about that is it's really hard to fire people in europe for anything besides like doing illegal stuff Mm -hmm. you can't get rid of someone for bad performance basically is what my space lawyer knowledge is telling me (laughs) right but let's pretend like that's not the case because that's hard okay (laughs) i don't know what to do there (laughs) yeah how do you how do you go about it
0: well i think I mean, you got to go through all the, there's probably a process for your, for your company on how to do this. And then I think you need, there's two basic crucial conversations here that need to happen. One is with the individual who is being moved out. And that I think, you know, you might be tempted to lay out your case and try to convince them why it's the right thing to let them go. This is not the time for that. I think the best way to handle these things is to be as compassionate as possible and as generous as possible with your arrangement but as brief as possible in the moment. It'll be an emotional time. It's not the time for them to take constructive feedback. It's not the time to have a good discussion or a negotiation. Like, this is over, right? And you need to end it quickly, compassionately, and don't dwell on it. That's the first conversation that needs to happen, and that's how I handle it and how I recommend handling it. The second conversation is now you need to construct a a true but compassionate narrative for the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this will depend on what's important to the person who's being moved out. You know, we want to make sure that the rest of the team if it's important to them that they preserve a reputation and, and like you said, Jameson, I don't like that this is a stigma, but it is and dealing with the constraints of reality, you have to make it so that the team that the person's wishes are preserved with the team somehow. And sometimes that's as simple as saying they've decided to pursue other opportunities, you know, just like that. Yeah. You know, if you've been in management, you'll you'll hear these these sound bites you'll sometimes. Know. Yeah. And you'll <laughs> yeah. be like, Oh, that's code for a, for an underperforming termination. Yeah. But you'd be surprised. A lot of people will just take it at face value and be like, Yeah, okay, cool.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think about giving some explicit warning ahead of time? So there's there's a difference between having performance conversations and saying, hey, if this does not change, we will have to let you go. Do you think that's worth doing before the final act of letting someone go?
0: Yeah, I, I really like that. And I think in, if you do that correctly, a lot of times people will leave on their own. And Mm -hmm. none of this will will have to come to pass. You won't have to have the hard conversation of an actual termination. You won't have to go through the formality and the process. And the narrative to the rest of the team can simply be they decided to take another job.
1: Yeah, I think the principle of it shouldn't be a surprise is great. And there are all all those side benefits you mentioned about. It's it's just easier to deal with if they do it on their own. Yeah, I, I think they should know. I think you owe it to them, even if it is a hard conversation to have it's it's much harder to have if they have no idea it's coming. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like that's step zero. And then step one is, like you said, be be kind of brief and professional. What about the effect it might have on the rest of the team? Not just their reputation with the team, but how the team feels. Yeah, like a,
0: yeah like a foreboding of am I next?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I've seen that every time people have been fired around me. You can't just take someone out of the team that has worked there for a while and have people think like it's probably fine and yeah. nothing will change. And change, <laughs> right. and even if it does change, you know, change is good. Yeah, it'll probably be for the better.
0: <laughs> right. No, that never. That literally never happens. <laughs>
1: yeah. You
0: know, I had a CTO once after they had to move someone out of the organization and he stood up and said, look, I know some of you might be thinking, am I in trouble? Am I underperforming? And let me just tell you that unless we've been very clear with you and said you're underperforming, you're doing fine mm-hmm. and you're not next. And, and, and I thought, you know, that was actually really good of him to explicitly just make it completely unmistakable
1: yep yeah i like that a lot i probably depends a lot on the team and, and how you do it but i do think some amount of reassuring the team hey this is a change that's been happening for a long time we were very deliberate about this this isn't this isn't a sign of things to come it's this is something we did to make the team better and that we've been talking about for a long time something that makes it feel less sudden because it probably is going to feel sudden to them i've found that People are kind of aware of performance issues, but even if they're aware, they don't have an internal timer counting down to when this person is going to get fired.
0: Yeah. I I am the opposite. Like I am so paranoid about getting fired. I wake up every day thinking, is this going to be the day they finally fire me?
1: Are you serious? I am. Really? I,
0: I don't know why. Yeah, like I Oh man. I don't know why it is, but that's how I wake up like every day. Like today's going to be the day this all ends.
1: So I've had that before, but it was at the story I told where I ended up quitting because I was doing a bad job. Like it was for a reason, because <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> wasn't doing very good work. I don't think I've ever had that where I felt like I've been trying and working effectively, though.
0: Yeah, like I went into my performance review last month, and they were like, "You're doing great," and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's such a relief." <laughs> I just wow. seriously, I thought it was. I thought it was. I don't know. I just I don't know why. I guess I'm kind of a harsh grader on myself.
1: Yeah. Well. I give you an F at your ability to grade yourself. <laughs> 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 That's so
0: meta. Oh my gosh.
1: There's one other thing I want to talk about, which is this weird, at least the way I like to manage a team is very supportive and collaborative and helpful. And, and I'm, I'm focusing a lot on solving people, solving problems for people, helping them solve their own problems, growing. And there's this weird change. It's like this inflection point where you move from, I am helping this person work through this to I cannot help anymore and now I have to get them out. And I don't Mm. have any advice for that. I just want to acknowledge that that feels weird, especially if you're the kind of person that cares a lot about your team. This is why it's easier if you're a sociopath, right? Like (laughs) you just use people like objects and then say this object has lost its value. (laughs) The screws are stripped on this thing and I'll throw (laughs) it away and get a new one. But It it is a weird feeling. The question asker talks about coaching this person and motivating him and trying to work with him. And it's, it's weird to say like, you know, I just, I'm not going to, I don't know how you approach that. You just don't do it anymore and cut them off or you still coach them and just know like, yep, but it's not going to work. I don't know. That's the thing I haven't gotten good at, which is maybe, maybe means I haven't done enough firing to develop that callus yet.
0: You haven't gotten good at being a sociopath yet, but there's still time.
1: There is still time.
0: I mean, look, the life of a sociopath is so easy. You spend all your life murdering people and then you go to jail and you get free meals for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's, it's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think there's a point there. I just wanted to acknowledge it. It's hard. All
0: right. Let me let me just say that this whole conversation has been a real bummer and I'm ready to move on to the next question.
1: <laughs> all right. Yeah. Let's crack some witty jokes about trivial things. Okay. <laughs> next question. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Woo, let's get Do back on brand. It? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I've been thinking about which conferences to attend this year. What a coincidence. This episode is sponsored by the O'Reilly Velocity Conference in San Jose, California, June 10th through the 13th.
0: Yeah, I checked it out. Velocity looks like a great event to learn new skills for building and managing cloud native systems. They have a diverse lineup of 92 speakers from companies like Spotify, Netflix, Google, Dropbox, and Cloudflare. There will be talks about cloud application development, microservices, security, and of course, the darling of the internet right now, Kubernetes.
1: (laughs) It looks incredible this year. You should come to Velocity if you want to learn about chaos engineering, cloud-native systems, and serverless, and you get to hear firsthand from the engineers who have built some of the world's largest scale and highest-performing internet applications. My team works in this domain and it actually looks directly relevant to the kind of stuff we're facing right now. Really cool.
0: You can even become a certified Kubernetes application developer while there.
1: And you get to meet a bunch of interesting people, which is one of the main reasons I attend conferences.
0: We worked out a sweet deal with the Velocity organizers for soft skills engineering listeners. You can get 20% off when you use code skills during registration
1: i did the math and with that code you can get a pass for as low as 908 dollars right now go to velocityconf.com slash skills to register and use discount code skills
0: all right i'll read this one okay yep you're a sociopath what do you care if i read this question
1: <laughs> i'm just happily planning your doom listening to you read <laughs> okay
0: if i say one word wrong it'll be my last Yep. Okay, this comes from an anonymous listener who says, I've just joined the company as a Ruby and Ruby on Rails developer. After half a year, the architect presented a new way of developing the product and said that from now on, all new features will be written in Java and Spring, and we switch, we'll be switching to a microservice architecture. But I don't like Java, and I don't want to switch. I have six years of experience with Ruby. What
1: should I do? It's time to go back to the old soft skills engineering staples. Quit your job, quit your job, quit your job, quit your job, quit your job. Quit your job. Quit your job. <laughs> the aria. Yeah. Hmm. Question answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> I feel
1: like you have more nuance to add here, Dave.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Were you just blown away by my powerful arguments? I was
0: just thinking, yeah, like you made such a compelling case.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can argue with facts, but you can't argue with the feeling you had when I'm saying to you.
0: <laughs> That's un- unmistakable.
1: Yeah. How are you going to debate that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to try that in my next technical argument. <laughs> just start I'll singing. Just, <laughs> I'll just sing about like CSS and JS or something like that. <laughs> I know you hate it, but the feeling... <laughs>
0: Listen to your heart as I sing the following verse.
1: (laughs) Open curly (laughs) bracket. All right. Yeah. What do you think?
0: You've been doing Ruby on Rails for six years straight. I think this is a gift. I do. Hmm. I think that after six years, it would be beneficial to your career, probably, to expand your breadth of experience and put some Java on your resume and actually give this technology a good faith try and really come to appreciate the pros and cons of this technology. And you just might learn that there are some things in Ruby that are not that great. (laughs) (laughs) And and this from someone who has made a career out of poking fun at Java, but who is currently employed full-time writing Java. (laughs) Yeah, the
1: turntables have turned. (laughs) I mean, Ruby was originally, not originally, but part of the Ruby hype when it was growing rapidly, I remember, was it was the anti-Java. Java Java was the enemy and Ruby was there to destroy it and restore developer happiness. And you kind of get a, you get to see whether it's true or not, right? Like, is it really that bad? Yeah. Yeah. You always hear about how learning new languages or technologies helps people appreciate and, and carry skills across to their preferred stack. So maybe there's stuff you can learn from Java that you can bring to Ruby. Maybe you can write an enterprise dependency injection annotation framework and bring that back to Ruby. Oh, wait, you don't need it in Ruby. (laughs) (laughs) You just pass stuff into methods. (laughs) Yeah, I don't wanna switch, what should I do? I really like writing React on the client in, in browsers. And I took a job where most of my client code is in Angular. And I had never done a lot of Angular before this. And it's a little different because no one foisted this upon me. I went into it knowing that was the case. But I had kind of heard people complain about Angular and how much better they liked React. But I didn't feel it because I didn't have experience in Angular. And I feel it so deeply now. Oh, man. (laughs) I feel like it makes me appreciate things about React that I did not appreciate before when it didn't have as much contrast to other tools. I, I did a lot of Backbone before and then moved straight from Backbone to React.
0: So you're saying that you're saying that you should suffer just so you can appreciate the good.
1: I can sing more powerfully about React now. <laughs> There's greater pathos, <laughs> more gravitas in my in my in my verses.
0: Because you're a tortured soul.
1: Yeah, exactly. And everyone knows pain produces art. So <laughs> I'm a better artist now. I yeah. So I guess I'm kind of agreeing with you. I'll rewind and reverse sing my aria about quitting your oh, job. And then... I was already convinced. Well, now I'm convinced. Did we switch? I, I don't know. <laughs> I think it is fair to make, if you very strongly prefer to work in a technology, I think it's perfectly fine to prefer to, to find jobs where you get to work with that. But I do think there is value in, in being a little more flexible. So I think what Absolutely. I would actually do is dip some toes in, start putting out some feelers, not rage quit immediately because they dared to, change the tech stack, but I think I would look around a little bit while also still trying to dive in and get a feel for what it is like to program in that environment.
0: I would encourage you to look back over the past six years and think of all the growth that you've experienced. And probably after six years on Ruby, you've plateaued. Like it's unlikely Mm -hmm. that you're making leaps and bounds in your professional ability anymore after six years in the same stack. And now think, I would say, look ahead to the next six years and say, if I did six more years of Ruby, now I'd be looking back over 12 years working in the same tech stack now I hmm. think you actually have a problem on your hand. Now you might not be employable anywhere but Ruby. And do you really think that Rails is going to have that long of a tenure where it's in demand? You know, I don't think so. Most technologies just don't last that long, even the really good ones.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, the I guess if we want to talk about specific tech. The hype has moved on from Rails, but there's still a, a very, very long, long tail of valuable work being done in it. But I think your point is important that part of being a developer is growing and learning new technologies. And if you can show, you can do that. Even if you don't become a Java Spring developer as your next career, just being able to work productively in that will benefit you. What about... So I have a friend who likes to specialize a lot and cares very strongly about what he specializes in. And he wants to to focus in order to develop deep expertise in something. And so going a little bit wider and broader is painful to him because it it makes it harder to develop deep focus knowledge. He just struggles with switching to new technologies because he, he really wants to focus on the one that he loves and develop deeper and deeper expertise in it. Hmm. And so this, I, I like being a jack of all trades and learning a lot of different things, but that does come with the trade-off of there's, there's deep knowledge that I don't develop because I don't get as far into one specific technology as a dedicated expert to it. Well, that's so I guess I'm saying... Maybe quit your job still. <laughs>
0: <laughs> depending on what you want.
1: Yeah, you know, do what you want, depending on what you want. I think that's my <laughs> summary, my strong position.
0: Okay, and very concrete. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I wouldn't quit right away. I think I would, I would learn what I could for a little bit and see if I just absolutely hate it. The other thing is there's cultures that come with languages, and maybe the question asker really likes the Ruby culture. There's certainly Mm -hmm. a Java culture, and it's very different from the Ruby one. And so separate from the technical issues are just what what do you want it to feel like when you work with a language? So you can, if you just hate that, if it's like nails on a chalkboard to you, I don't know that learning more about Spring is going to make you suddenly go, you know, XML, it's all right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can say there's not that much XML these days. Okay, I don't know
1: anything about Spring, and I haven't written Java since college, so. Yeah.
0: I just can't, I mean, I I can understand wanting to be super deep in one domain. I just don't know how much deeper you're going to get after six years in Ruby. You know, like, unless you're like a core contributor to the Ruby language or to Rails, or maybe you maintain a a significant Rails module or something or plugin. I just don't know how much deeper you're going to go. So that's why I said he's probably plateaued.
1: You're swimming, you've reached the bottom of the pool, you have to actually dig the pool deeper now. (laughs) That's what you're saying.
0: (laughs) Claw through the concrete.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, I think we're we're vaguely in agreement. Where, give it a try. It sounds like you're leaning a little bit more towards a little longer try, and I'm saying eh, maybe not that long, but still try it out, and then maybe quit your job.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Give it a fair shake, I say, and I, and I think I would I would give it a year. I really do.
1: Man, a year is like some people's normal tenure at a job, Dave.
0: Fair point. <laughs> Take your normal tenure at a job, divide <laughs> divide by two, and that's how long I would give it. Okay. And if that comes, except cap it at one year.
1: (laughs) Okay. If you're a a lifer with the gold watch, don't spend your second lifetime (laughs) writing Java. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Have we answered the question? I think so. Good luck. Good luck. What can people do if they want their own questions answered?
0: Go to softskills.audio and click on ask a question.
1: All right. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next week.